0: Welcome to the podcast for First Presbyterian Church of Arlington Heights. In the sermon series, Black Swan, we are exploring Jesus through the eyes of Mark's gospel. We are going to be looking at the reason why Jesus, who started off as a poor peasant from Nazareth, became one of the most influential figures in the Western world. I hope you enjoy Our second scripture today is a continuation not only of what we just heard, but also last week where we heard the parable of the sower. So let us now listen to Mark 4, verses 26 through 34. He also said, this is what the kingdom of God is like. A man scatters seed on the ground. Night and day, whether he sleeps or gets up, the seed sprouts and grows, though he does not know how. All by itself, the seed and the soil produces grain, first the stalk, then the head, then a full kernel in the head. As soon as the grain is ripe, he puts the sickle to it because the harvest has come. Again, he said, What shall I say the kingdom of God is like? Or what parables shall we use to describe it? It is like a mustard seed, which is the smallest of all seeds on earth. Yet when planted, it grows and becomes the largest of all garden plants, by which it shoots out large branches that birds can perch on in its shade. With many similar parables, Jesus spoke the words to them, as much as they could understand. He did not say anything to them without using a parable. But when he was alone with his own disciples, he explained everything. This is the word of God. Thanks be to God. Now, how many of you, I'm full of questions today, how many of you have seen the movie The Imitation Game? Oh, good. I'm glad some of you have. Um, If you have not seen it, I will try not to ruin it for you, but I do suggest seeing it because it was one of the better movies that I saw in 2014, and I've seen a lot this past year. But The Imitation Game is based on the true life story of a man named Alan Turing who lived in the mid-1900s. Turing is a mathematician, a scientist, a cryptologist, and well, he's just pretty much your all-around genius. He's also considered the pioneer of computer science. And many of you have a Turing machine at either home or work. Those who are watching us via webcast today are even watching on a Turing machine because today it's known as a computer. Well, during World War II, Turing was recruited by the British government to lead a group of cryptologists and mathematicians working at Bleachery Park the home of the British Intelligence Agency. He and this team of others were brought in to break something called the Enigma Machine. Now, the Enigma Machine was used by Nazi Germany and their allies to decode messages that they were sending back and forth to fighter pilots or battleships, directing them where the specific target was that they were supposed to be hitting next. But there was a problem for the British government. No, it wasn't them intercepting these messages that were going back and forth. They were actually able to intercept thousands of messages. And, in fact, there was 8,000 women working at Bleachery Park, known as the Bleacheryettes, who were um, intercepting these messages on a daily basis. They would transcribe them, and then they would file them away. The problem wasn't intercepting them. It was decoding them because what they had to do was then take those messages and put them into the Enigma machine, but they didn't have the right settings for it. So whenever they took these um, messages and put them into the Enigma machine, it came out all gibberish. Turing and his team were then brought in to basically crack this machine. They would work all day and all night trying to figure out what those Correct settings were so they can pinpoint how to set the Enigma machine so it would bring the right message to them. And so for 24 hours a day, they would work on this. But at midnight, all those settings would be reset and their work for the entire day wasted. And thousands of innocent lives were lost in the process and more (sighs) men lost their lives on the battlefield Some days I know we all think that we have very stressful jobs or lots of stress going on in our lives. But for Turing and his team, this added a lot more pressure and stress because there was so much at stake here for them. Now, during the process, Turing had an idea. He wanted to create a machine called the Bombay machine that would process thousands of these possible codes every day, giving them the right setting for the Enigma machine so that they could translate these messages that they had been intercepting. And they worked for years on this. And thousands more lives were lost during that process. And then one day they figured out that the answer was staring them right in the face. You see, there was these 8,000 women who were working for them that were each assigned to a specific frequency and transmitter. And they were assigned to that same person who was on the other end transmitting these messages. And so day in and day out, they began learning the patterns of these people they began learning who they are. They knew intimate details of their lives because of the way they signed on or they signed off every day. And so these women had this intimate knowledge of who these people were, and they were able to tell Turing and his team about these, this information, and it led to them cracking the Enigma machine. Now, it is said that by the creation of the Bombay machine and the breaking of the Enigma machine, Turing and his team shortened World War II by as much as two to four years, saving countless lives in the process. You see, when Turing went to work at Bletchley Park, he didn't want to approach the problem like everyone else. He didn't want to have to work every day solving the same code and the same problem just for it to be erased and all his work be for nothing. He was thinking bigger than the problem at hand. And that's what our parables today, these parables of confusion, is what they're trying to do as well. As Jesus told these parables, he wanted people to hear them, and the disciples not to hear them, but to listen to what he was saying. He wanted them to change how they thought about things. He wanted them to change how they saw the everyday. He wanted them to change the way they interacted with the world around them and to impact their faith in others. This form of thinking you will hear Alex refer to as kingdom thinking because what we tend to do in our everyday lives is we get into a pattern ourselves. We get into this rut of looking at things through a narrow lens and we only look at things for the detail or the meaning to us. But Jesus and kingdom thinking wants us to use a wider lens of understanding so that we can understand what the impact is for all of us, how we are called to live together, how we're called to interact with one another, and how our faith and others' faith will be impacted. The parables used in our in today's text are what some people refer to as kingdom parables because Jesus used these stories to describe what the kingdom of God is. He also understood the power of stories, that we don't just limit our imaginations when we hear a story. He uses parables that he could inspire people to imagine things that they had never considered before. Jesus wanted to stimulate those who were hearing these stories' imaginations so they might perceive the power and presence of God In a whole new way. Jesus recognized the importance of imagination and he used it to shift the way we see ourselves, others, and God. And here he takes something as small as the mustard seed and shows us how great and big it can be. He shows us our own potential in life when we use our imaginations and we see things in a different way. In the first parable, the one about the lamp, Jesus wants us to understand that upon understanding God's word, we are to take it and let it shine. We do not have the ability as humans to hide something so powerful as God's word coming into the world. Many things happen in our lives that we do not understand or we even comprehend. But Jesus wants us to understand that God's word is very present, just as God is. The second parable builds upon that and emphasizes that the kingdom of God is dependent upon God's grace, but also our initiative. He wants us to realize that God's power is not limited by God and not limited by us. God's power is not dependent upon us. You see, the seed didn't need the farmer to grow. All the farmer had to do was take initiative to sow the seed. The farmer didn't have to set up day and night and watch the seed in order for it to grow. It grew. There's an emphasis here on the mystery and the surprise of God in everything. We live in an age where mystery and surprise take a back burner to practicality and common sense. We use our narrow lenses to see things in a matter-of-fact way because sometimes things are either dire or they're just so complex that we don't care to understand them. In the parable of the mustard seed, Jesus uses this tiny seed when planted, even accidentally because of its size, to show us how great something can grow into. In fact, the mustard seed can grow into a bush that is as large as a house. You should have seen the children's faces light up during the children's time when I told them how big a mustard seed could grow. They were using their imaginations. But this bush also gives new life because its branches attract birds and other animals so that they can build their homes in it. As followers of Jesus, we only limit the possibilities of the kingdom of God with how we see things. And Jesus wants us to use our imaginations and understand that in reality, we have great potential. These parables are a metaphor for the growth of God's kingdom. They include encouragement to act on, counsel to patience, and hope for the future. They also challenge us by speaking of hidden things and growth while pointing to the kingdom of God. In the last few lines of... um, The parable today, all those parables are actually tied together. The one we heard last week of the parable of the sower, the lamp on the stand, the harvest, and the mustard seed are all tied together because, again, it's a metaphor for the kingdom of God and kingdom thinking. We don't always see God in the midst of things that are going on around us every day. Sometimes we feel that God isn't present at all. And we feel that God is hidden, or at least the meaning and purpose of something is hidden from us. For example, in World War II, 60 million people lost their lives. And you look at such a great loss of life, and then you hear the story about Alan Turing, his team, the Enigma machine, and Bombay, and you ask, where was God in that tragedy? Now, I'm sure Turing and his team had many moments of frustration and doubt, despair, and even hopelessness. Because even when the Enigma machine was cracked, they still had this huge problem on their hands. Turing and his team had to statistically figure out how many of these intercepted messages that they decoded every day could be used to the British government and their allies' advantage and to save lives. If they used too many of these messages a day, it would let Nazi Germany know that the Enigma machine had been cracked, and then they would reset everything in a different way, wasting years of their work. Many more lives would have been lost, and who knows when World War II would have ended. The ethical dilemma for Turing and his team was that each of these decisions that they made The messages they used, the messages they didn't use, meant human lives were being sacrificed in the process. So where was God in this tragedy? Well, Turing had an imagination, a gift from God. He was able to dream of the Bombay machine and to crack the Enigma machine. And you have to see things through a wider scale, through those lenses of imagination, through kingdom thinking. You see, with kingdom thinking, you see God in the midst working for good, even in the most horrific circumstances. Now, I don't pretend that I have faced anything as stressful as Turing and his team, nor have I seen anything as horrific as World War II. I can't even begin to wrap my imagination around that. Yet I believe that we all have the ability to use our imaginations to open ourselves up to kingdom thinking, to look for God in the everyday, and to challenge ourselves to see God in the midst. To be honest, this past year has been the most challenging year of my entire life. Over a 12-month period, I got to see my 11-year marriage crumble. My previous call of six years dissolve, the home that I had built for my family left behind, and tough choices like following my call to God and fighting for custody of my children made. I look back some days and wonder, God, how am I still standing here today? But more importantly, where was God? Why did I have to go through such pain? Why did my children have to be hurt in the process of all of this? Why did I have to watch everything I had poured my heart and soul into for so many years have to crumble right in front of me and there was nothing I could do about it? Why did all of this have to happen when all I was trying to do was be faithful and follow God's call? Yet, as I reflect upon it now, that's not how I see things through the lenses of kingdom thinking. I don't see a God that was hidden from me. Sure, I had some knockdown, down drag-out screaming matches with God in which I ask him why. But in the end, I was the only one screaming. Because God was a calm, silent presence. Always there. God was w- at work helping me to discern a new call, to imagine a new life for me and the boys. God was at work bringing together this APNC, this group of strangers who didn't even know each other that well. These strangers that would become family to me and the boys in a mere few months. God was at work bringing all this together, this was a group of, fam- of people I'd never met before, but God was at work in the midst of them, too. God was helping me to discern a life that I had never imagined, a life I had never dreamt of. Because God shows up in the most unexpected places in our lives. So when we hear parables like those today, Jesus challenges us to use our imaginations to think outside the box, to re-examine God's presence in the world and in our lives. Jesus wants us to understand that horrible things happen in the world and in our lives, and we may all have those knock-down, drag-out, screaming matches with God. But God is still there. And Jesus is also saying that if you look close enough at whatever is going on, you'll see God is there. God may seem hidden, but God is still there. God didn't cause those horrible things to happen, but God is still present and will always be there, even in the places we have yet to imagine. Let us pray. Gracious God, be with us as we go into the world this week using kingdom thinking and lenses for which we can see you in the midst of everything. Help us in our times of trial to see you present in our lives. Be with those who are around us who also need your love and grace. Help us to use our understanding that we gain from kingdom thinking to share your love and grace with others, so that others may also see the world the way your Son, Jesus Christ, did. For it's in your name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening.